Good evening. So there was a man who went to visit his friend who lived on a farm. And as he was driving up the winding road to his friend's house, he noticed a big barn. And on the side of the barn were several targets, bullseyes. And so he got interested, curious. He stopped and got out and looked. And on every one of these targets, right in the center of the bullseye was one hole. One bullet hole in each one of them. No other shots. One bullet hole in each of the targets, dead center, right in the middle of the bullseye. So he drives up to his friend's house. He knocks on the door. The friend answers, and he says, hey, I, I got to know something. Who made those shots on those targets? Was that you? And he said, yes, it was. He said, that's amazing. How'd you do that? And he said, it's easy. You shoot, then you go and draw the target. And I think that's how some people approach the Bible and Bible study. They're not so much good at hitting the target, they just paint well. They shoot first and then draw the target around the hole. For instance, maybe a husband and wife are having a spat and the husband says, Ephesians 5, you got to obey me, submit woman. You think about the statement, money is the root of all evil, unless you don't have enough of it, right? First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 22 reads, Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. There are actually egotistical preachers who use this verse and pull it from their holster anytime someone disagrees with them. Or how about this one? God only helps those who help themselves. That one is actually not in the Bible, but it's quoted as if it is. Judge not lest you be judged. A convenient way to repel criticism while judging others. For judging you. The purpose of this series has been to help us do exactly what God calls us to do when we study the Bible, and that is to rightly divide His Word. And we've been looking at some of the more misused, abused, or misrepresented passages of Scripture, and tonight we continue our study by examining Proverbs 22.6. We actually looked at this passage a little bit back in September of last year when we were doing a series on family. And I I actually thought about not including it in this series since we did talk about it not long ago, but then I decided to put it in anyway and maybe bring forth some other insight that we didn't talk about last time. The passage 22.6 of Proverbs reads, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he grows older, he will not abandon it. Now here's what many people think that Proverbs 22.6 is saying. If I raise my child in a godly home, then he or she will never fall away. And if the child does fall away, they will eventually come back. Which would mean that if the child strays, even after being raised in a godly home and never returns, then the parents had to have done something wrong. And there are preachers who preach this. There are blog posts that put this forth. There are parenting seminars that convey this as absolute truth. And I believe that it falls well short of what the passage is actually saying, and it creates undue guilt and shame many times for parents. When Zane and Zoe were really small, Zoe was about five, Zane was about four, they were in the floor playing, and they were fine for a while, but as siblings often do, they, they got heated. And I walked in the room just as Zane had his fist drawn back, about ready to hit his sister. And I thought, what did I do? How in the world could my, my soft-hearted, very sensitive young boy, how could he be ready to punch his sister? 
Like I must have done something wrong there. I'd never seen that kind of action out of him. Never seen him do anything remotely close to that. But that's what we do, right? We react. Somebody pushes our buttons. We do things we shouldn't do. We go against our upbringing all the time. And we do things that we know would not make our parents proud. Does that make our parents wrong in the way that they raised us? No, not necessarily. Even in the most ideal environment, rebellion occurs. We see it in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had perfection. Perfect self-esteem, perfect relationships, perfect surroundings. And yet they rebelled. Was that a failure on God's part? Of course not. Early in our child's life, we exert a lot of influence. But as our children get older... Maybe our influence is somewhat lessened as others have a great opportunity to influence them. I can remember coaching my son. I could tell him something, but if his favorite coach told him, he would listen. Not necessarily to me, but he would to him. The Bible contains numerous examples of the power of parental influence, both for good and for bad. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, God said these words concerning Abraham. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So one can certainly see that God expected Abraham to have influence over his children, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, etc. He was to teach them the ways of the Lord. One of the great judges of the Old Testament was a man by the name of Eli. But Eli had a stain on his record, and it was his parenting of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas brought serious reproach upon the sacred system of worship. And Eli was aware of it, but didn't reprimand or restrain his boys, and God's displeasure was forcefully demonstrated. Two of the most wicked people that we read about in the Old Testament had to be Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab was the ruler of the northern kingdom. Jezebel's name is synonymous with evil. Their daughter, Athaliah, was as vicious as her bloody parents. Their son, Ahaziah, was corrupt as well. And the Bible says that he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. And then note the phrase, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. You don't think there was some parental influence going on there? Timothy had a sincere faith. And where did it come from? from his grandmother and his mother. So there is no question that parents can have a major impact on the lives of their children. Our influence can be for good or for bad, and I think there are two primary questions that every parent should be asking of themselves. What am I teaching my child, and what should I be teaching my child? Because we're all teaching our children something. I need to evaluate my attitude, my actions, and my words to see whether they line up with God's word and God's will, because I cannot expect more from my children than what they see in me. But what about the parent or parents who laid a godly foundation, who focused the family on Jesus, who passed along a living faith, but whose children left the church, left the faith, and left their upbringing when they got older? What about them? Well, they still must have done something wrong. Right? I mean, the Bible says, if you train up a child in the way you should go, when he's only wanting to depart from it, you must have done something wrong. 
Even if it doesn't seem like it, you must have done something wrong. Even if they feel as though they did the debt level best to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, something may have gotten overlooked in the process. Maybe they slipped up somewhere. Otherwise, their children would be faithful. That's what we often believe and teach. And let me tell you, it's pretty ridiculous. That's a judgment we need to avoid making. We have no right to be making that judgment. I've counseled with shepherds that have talked about adding elders, that have refused to add a man to the eldership because he had three faithful children, but one of them was not faithful. That's ridiculous, folks. I mean, if they raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, then they're fine. They're qualified. When is the point where we point the finger back at the children? Because at some point we have to do that, don't we? Because while the Bible talks very plainly about the parents' responsibility and how when the children are young, the buck stops with them, the Bible also speaks very plainly about the responsibility of a child. Before we go there, though, here's something that you need to understand when it comes to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, and Proverbs as a whole. Proverbs are not absolute truths. They were never intended to be. They are not ironclad rules. Proverbs are principles. They're not promises. They set forth general principles. They are great words to live by. They are profound, vital words, but they're not ironclad rules. We can't read Proverbs like, if you do this, this is going to happen 100% of the time, all the time. That's not how the book reads. This is wisdom literature. This book was meant to assist God's covenant people to better appreciate what it means to follow God's will and to develop a life of holiness. You think about this. If we're constantly going to point the finger back at the parent, no matter what the children does or whatever they become, then we'd have to assume that God is a bad dad, right? I mean, we would have to assume that. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. God is often referred to as the father and his children, Israel, as, as his sons and daughters. He had raised them, and they rebelled. They turned their backs on their raising. So that automatically means that God was a bad father, right? That's the assumption you're going to have to make if that's how we're going to hold the line of thinking as related to Proverbs 22.6. No single proverb was meant to exhaust the subject that it is addressing. These are wise guidelines. They're helpful sayings, general statements, but not absolutes. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 16 verse 7 reads, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. So how am I supposed to take this? Did God or the writer of Proverbs expect me to interpret this as an absolute rule? That if I please the Lord, that all my enemies will always be at peace with me. Is that what I'm supposed to take away from this? You know as well as I do, there are some people that aren't going to like you no matter what you do. Take Jesus, for example. Did he always do what God expected of him? Did he always please the Lord in everything? Absolutely he did. Were his enemies at peace with him? Well, they nailed him to a cross. Of course not. Is it still the best way to live? Of course it is. Again, 
These are principles, not promises. It's always good and right to live a righteous life characterized by high moral standards and values. It's always good and right to live in such a way so as to show kindness and compassion to your fellow man. It's just not an absolute guarantee that everybody's going to return the favor. Just like raising your children in a godly home doesn't guarantee that your children will be godly adults. Is it the best way to raise them? Absolutely it is. In fact, it's what God expects. You know, said it a while ago, I'll say it again, we often talk about the responsibility of parents. How many Father's Day sermons have you heard? Hopefully not in the last 14 years here, but how many Father's Day sermons have you heard about how fathers just need to step it up and they're not doing their job and they just need to do better? And of course, we get to Mother's Day and we praise our mothers and we fall all over them, right? You know, but the truth of the, truth of the matter is we could all probably do a little better. We could all probably step it up. Like we all, as parents, have things that we could do better, right? But to simply point to the parents and let them shoulder all the blame, it's not exactly what we need to be doing. Now, are there some parents who have not shouldered the load, who have turned their back on God's word and what it says about raising godly children? Sure, sure. But there are many who have done the job well, who have done what they believe to be scriptural in raising their children in a godly home, laying a godly foundation, and their children as they got older turned away. They left their upbringing, they left the faith, and they left the foundation that had been laid. And unfortunately, they blame the parents sometimes. You know, the kids that say, I had a drug problem, my parents dragged me to church and all that. That's a good thing, okay? We often point the finger at our parents even and say things like, well, you know, they didn't do this right, they didn't do that right. Yeah, they, they didn't do everything right. I told my oldest daughter one time, you know, I'm a guinea pig. This is an experiment with me. I've never raised a kid before, so there's going to be some things that I get wrong, right? It bothers me when, when adult kids blame their parents for not going to church. You know what you need to be doing. You know what your responsibility is. Quit blaming your parents and, and, and pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Get to church. Develop that faith. My mother made sure that I was in Mass every Sunday. She was trying to do the right thing. She was trying to lead me to the Lord. She wanted the best for me spiritually. There are many adults out there who, who know they're not doing what they should be doing, and it's more convenient maybe to blame their upbringing than to get their life in order. I think we need to turn to what the Scriptures say about children as well, about kids and what their responsibility is, because Paul talks about that. The Old Testament talks about that. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, Starting in verse 1, it reads, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So children have a God-given responsibility to honor their father and their mother. The two go hand in hand. You honor your father and your mother by obeying them. The word for obey here in the Greek means to listen, attend, or submit. This was a great challenge for me growing up. I didn't want to obey my parents. I didn't like authority. But young people, hear me loud and clear on this. If you truly want to live a life that is self-sacrificing, that is truly what God expects of you and blesses, then you will, then you will make sure that you're obeying your parents. Maybe it's stressful, maybe it's anxiety-ridden, maybe it's not always easy, but it's always right. It is right, the good book says. Being a parent is not easy either. 
You parents know that many times you're an Uber driver, you're a chef, you're, you're a coach, you're, you're a tutor. You, you do a lot of different things. You wear a lot of different hats. I think it's important that we also understand as children the sacrifice that our parents have made and understand that it's the hardest task a person could ever take on. It's also the most rewarding. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is not the first time we read the divine command for children to honor and obey. It's part of the Ten Commandments. It says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord God gives you. So, before do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not murder, God tells the people, honor your father and mother. Why? Well, I think because God understood that the home is where it all begins. It starts with the home. Deuteronomy 6, we're not going to read through that, but you remember that passage. Parents have a responsibility to teach their children the ways of the Lord, and children, in turn, have a responsibility of following that teaching. If each family member fulfills their God-given responsibility, then guess what? It works. The divine responsibility given by the divine architect If we follow those blueprints, it works. The other commandments are much less likely to be a problem when you honor your father and mother. It won't be a problem not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to murder. You won't have a problem keeping, you know, the Sabbath. You won't have a problem with uh, um, uh, taking the Lord's name in vain or idolatry. The house is where it starts. And so, when everyone operates under divine authority, things seem to come together. Won't be perfect, not by any means. I want you to notice something else concerning Ephesians 6. Notice that there is no time limit. Parents who raise their children in the Lord should be honored for a lifetime, not just while they're at home. In fact, godly training should be heeded most when the child leaves the home. If the parents have fulfilled their God-given roles then the children should honor their parents' training throughout their lives, even after their parents are deceased. What better way to honor the memory of your parents than by continuing to live out your upbringing? You see, the parent-child relationship mirrors the God-man relationship, or at least it should. To honor and obey our earthly parents is but a microcosm of the type of obedience that we must have for our Heavenly Father. And when we learn the meaning of being in subjection at home, we're better prepared to live a life of subjection to the Father. Why do you think Exodus 20 and verse 12 reads, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land that the Lord God gives you. Why do you think Ephesians 6 states, So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. What does that mean? Are we promised to live to the ripe old age of 100 if we do what our parents tell us to do? Is that what the Old Testament writers were getting at? Is that what Paul is getting at? Of course not. What Paul is saying is, is he's taking that special promise of a long life in Canaan, and he's translating it into a general promise of longevity and prosperity. Where obedience to godly parents is found, there is usually found with it prayer, Bible study, selflessness, service, righteousness, reliance on God, trust in Christ, all the things that lead to a life well-lived here on earth. More importantly, they are virtues that lead to eternal life in the promised land of heaven. Of course, there's one caveat to all this, right? And you may have jumped ahead in your mind. What if my parents did not lead me in the right way? What if my parents actually led me in the wrong way? Look, your first obligation is to God. 
your first allegiance is to God. And so while there's still an honoring that has to go on while you're under your parents' roof, there's going to come a time when you follow what is righteous, what is holy, what God has set forth in his word. That trumps your obedience to your parents. That's not getting you off the hook. You still have to obey your parents. But if you live, if you live in a home where your parents are engaged in all sorts of immorality, they're leading you down the wrong path, obviously your first allegiance is to God. I think it's uh, interesting now that I've, I've got grown children. There, were, there was a time when I was really hesitant to preach sermons on parenting because I certainly didn't feel like that I, I had any, any right to tell parents how to raise their kids, and I still don't think that. I still don't believe that I have any right to tell parents how to raise their children. We'll let God do that, right? But it is interesting how I say these things, and if you have small children or even teenagers, you're probably thinking, well, when is this going to turn a corner, right? And I can tell you from experience that there were many times when my teenage children would stay in the room, they would come home, and they, they barely spoke, barely said two words. I don't know what set them off. You never knew what made them mad but they found some way to ignore you. And now as they've gotten older, it seems like the phone rings all the time. They're always calling, talking about their day, asking for advice, things of that nature. So it does get better. I want to encourage you with that. And for our parents that may be struggling because you feel like you didn't do enough, or maybe you became a Christian later in life, I want to encourage you, just be Jesus. Just keep trying to be Jesus. Make that your, your, daily, your daily effort to be more like Christ so that they can see that, so you can lead by example. For those of you who, who felt like you did everything the way that you should have and, and your child turned away in adulthood, I'm truly sorry for that. I don't want you to, to bear unnecessary guilt and shame, but I know it's hard. You know, there's a story of a 17-year-old girl who was going on her first date. And the boy was coming to the house to pick her up. The parents had not met him. And she was excited and she was running around trying to get ready and the doorbell rings. And the father answers it. And to his surprise, there's a man standing there, six foot four, clad in leather, tattoos all over, aviator glasses, um, a, 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 like an American flag bandana, piercings everywhere, hadn't shaved in quite a while. The father's a little bit surprised, but he invites him in. They sit down and talk, and then he says, well, excuse me, and he goes upstairs to get his daughter, and he says, honey, your, your date is here. And she goes, oh, isn't he, isn't he great? He's just the greatest thing ever, isn't he? And he goes, well, honey, what makes you say that? And she goes, well, he's just got the biggest heart. He's so sweet, and he's so kind. He says, he is? And she goes, yes, you, you, you really need to talk to him and get to know him because he's got such a big heart. And he goes, honey, you, you keep saying that. You keep saying that he's kind and has a big heart. How do you know he could be a convicted felon? And she goes, dad, would he be doing 5,000 hours of community service if he didn't care about people? <laughs> we would love to be making decisions for our kids and we would love for them to choose the right path. And unfortunately, they don't always. But keep plugging. Keep doing what God expects of you. 
keep laying that foundation. Keep being Jesus to your kids. Young people, I'd encourage you. And we got great young people, so this is not anything, anything new to you guys. But, man, I'm sure you've noticed it goes so much better for you when you do the right thing and when you obey and when you, and when you uh, accept what your parents are trying to teach you. Even if you don't agree with it at the time, we're not perfect. And certainly, we are guinea pigs to some degree and that we're learning as we go. We got some great parents and some great kids. But if you're struggling, if you need help, if you need prayer, if you'd like to come and talk to me one day, uh, certainly I'd love to do that and sit down with you. I, I want to help you as much as I can. I know our elders would be willing to do that as well. Just don't bear unnecessary guilt and shame. You lay that foundation. You strive to be like Christ. Our children have a responsibility as well. I appreciate you so much. Let's pray. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for another day. Thank you for this opportunity to be here this evening, to, to worship you, to be together as a family. Help us, God, as we leave here to be Christ in the world around us, especially in our homes. May we start there. May we lay that foundation. And may we seek to be everything you would have us to be. As parents, as children, may we always strive to glorify you in everything we do. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Well, if we can help you tonight, Jim is going to lead us in a song. If we can pray with you, study the Bible with you. Uh, if you'd like to talk about next steps in faith, or maybe you've talked about that, and maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism like Brian did this morning or Rocky did Thursday, certainly we're ready to do that as well. Whatever your need is, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.